Hello, it's Carson Stooley. This is Fangraphs Audio. As he has the previous three or perhaps four weeks, lead prospect writer for Fangraphs.com, Kyle McDaniel, appears on this end-of-week edition of Fangraphs Audio, discussing, for example, the 2015 draft. San Francisco Giants infielder Joe Panic and the Joe Panic type of player. Also, um, in what follows, the hit tool. McDaniels just finished a four-part series on the hit tool, and so you'll hear about the hit tool. Before you hear about that, however, uh, you will hear a brief audio interlude crafted by Kylan McDaniel himself to say that it is pleasant to the ear would be a matter of taste uh, to say that said musical interlude contains a number of sounds is a statement of fact. So to recap, Kylan McDaniel conversation with him and what follows before that however a musical interlude full of sounds thank you so hot right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, it's uh, timely today that you uh, posted your uh, the draft rankings for 2015. Why uh, timely? Well, because a thing that I have forgotten to do or that I forgot to do that I have done the last couple of years is to do a, a sort of um, regressed leaderboard for the Cape League. Uh, and it usually reveals something. I don't know how interesting or useful it is, but it it is a way of organizing the players into a certain order that it has some meaning. Um, and some of the players who appear on those leaderboards appear on also on your uh, MLB draft ranking uh, draft rankings piece. And presumably one day could appear on the French Five. Could appear on the fringe five if they're if they're fringe worthy. They may they may they may uh, eschew fringe status. Well, I don't want to ruin the, uh, the surprise if you haven't seen the list yet. But there's a switch pitcher on there. I mean, that's like the definition of fringe five, isn't it? He's got to do two things to get on a list. Yeah, these <laughs> these um well what you know it's strange because that that uh, reminds us that uh, Pat Vendita Pat Vendita I've heard Venditti Venditti yeah um is it is it Sean D- Venditti Combs? Is that how you say it? <laughs> well, yeah. He, he used to be uh, Vendetti. Yeah, Vendetti. Oh, yeah. No, he's Vendetti. How does he... Uh, he's he's recorded almost uniformly excellent numbers in the minor leagues. We're talking uh, about Puff Daddy now? We're talking... Uh, no, we've moved on to Pat Venditti. Venditti. Uh, he's, he's, he's produced almost uniformly excellent numbers in the minor leagues. I'm looking now. He... Through 70 plus innings uh, between double and triple A for the Yankees this year, and uh, averaged over a strikeout per uh, per nine or per inning, uh, over nine strikeouts per nine. That's good. That's a I mean that's a number you look at. So that's good. Yeah, he he had a, a strikeout and walk differential uh, of almost 20 percentage points. That's also very strong. Uh, and he's also notable insofar as he. Um, he's a switch pitcher. That's very interesting. 
series. Yes, and he is more what you Venditti is more what you would expect a switch pitcher to be, which is if I remember correctly, it's like sort of fringy okay stuff from the right side and then like Mike Myers like matchup sidearm lefty from the left side. Right. And in either case he's obviously the Obviously, the advantage is he always has the platoon advantage in his favor. Yes. And but what, so, what I'm saying is, like, he basically is sort of a gimmick from one side and then sort of okay from another side. That's kind of what you'd expect it to be. Right. That if somebody's really good, they wouldn't bother, bother doing this. But if they're just good enough and then they could get a trick from the other side and they could do it, the guy on my list, uh, I mean, Venditti went in the 20th round. This guy, Ryan Perez, goes to a tiny school, could conceivably go in the top five rounds. Like, he's actually pretty good. And he would also be, oh yeah, there he is. Uh, and he, is he better from the left side? 1993. Look at that, yeah. I mean, you don't have to be, if you're able to neutralize, if you're, uh, uh, the opposite handed batter always, in, insofar, insofar in this case, there is no such thing as an opposite handed batter. Uh, you're always going to be pitching from the same side. You don't need crazy great stuff from either side if you could throw from both sides. Yeah, I guess a guy, as a thought experiment, a guy with average stuff from both sides would be an above-average reliever if he always has the platoon advantage. I guess that'd be right. Right, yeah, I mean, that seems right. I mean, above-average anything. Actually, this sort of pitcher seems particularly well-suited to start, provided he has a baseline. I actually asked around. Apparently, he didn't throw a changeup because he was always used in relief, but some guys are saying if he has a changeup, he may be a starter, which would be especially interesting. But the problem is he goes to a tiny school in Illinois. I don't remember what division it is. I believe it's D3, mm-hmm. so he's not going to face anyone good. So you're basically going to be going off of your cape look where you didn't get a changeup. Although, obviously, with pitchers, it's easier to evaluate against bad competition since he's throwing the same against no matter how good the hitters are. But right. there's also a hitter from Longwood, which I think is D3 in Virginia, who didn't have much field to hit on the cape, and that's a guy you're going to have no chance to evaluate during the spring because you would think he's going to hit 400 against anybody, and it won't really make much of a difference. And this was uh, that's is that Kyrie Washington? Kyrie, yes. Kyrie, sorry, Kyrie Washington. Speaking of mispronunciations, uh, we will be getting Eno Saris uh, over at Knockrafts, I think, uh, if not uh, the end of this week, then the beginning of next. So I he, really want to, I really want to see him with the Canadian guy I have in the thirties. Oh yes, is that like a latrine? Latrine? To... <laughs> Quit calling him a toilet. Yeah, no, but it's a, he's he's Quebecois, right? It's like decidedly. I believe so. Yeah, My yeah. understanding is it's Demi Orimaloye. Demi, oh yeah. All right. Well, I, I won't I won't worry about it now. Let's not worry about it. Because... He was getting mad. I sent you the our G chat. He got mad that I was sending him the names because he's like, I might be able to figure him out if I can think about him for a little yeah. bit. Like the whole point is not to take it by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, but we'll... I didn't send him that one. Yeah, we'll we'll find some for him. Don't worry, I don't think it'll be a problem. Uh, um, yeah. So so Kyrie, so Kyrie Washington, he hit the ball. He hits the ball hard. Is that fair to say? The cape and also can play center field. So the former football player doesn't really know what he's doing. So obviously the tools are enough that I would guess he'll go in the top ten rounds unless mm-hmm. he's got some sort of crazy you know demand. But yeah, he's a guy that could be in rookie ball for two or three years and never get out of rookie ball for all we know. Is that comparable to anyone? Is that Phil Irvin or is it? Uh, no, Phil it? Irvin was very polished hitter. And who's Roach? Who's Roach? Roach? Victor Roach. Victor uh, Roach. He he didn't even play his junior year because or like played like ten at bats or whatever. He had a wrist injury. Yeah. But he was a hit home runs in games, hit two sixty, may not make contact guy. And I just saw him in high A, and he's kind of a, kind of a mess right now. 
But yeah, even that guy, I think he hit 20 home runs as a sophomore. Like he hit in college, and I think he made decent amount of contact on the Cape. Right, right, right. Oh yeah, I'm looking at uh, yeah Victor Rush. He was interesting coming out because because he what he hurt is uh, like really hurt his wrist. Yeah, I think it was a torn handmaid or a broken handmaid. I want to say. Yeah, and then I think I think like a battle, like there were tendons involved, and uh, he was at some school in Georgia, wasn't he? Yeah, Georgia Southern. Down Georgia here. Southern, yeah, which is not like a baseball powerhouse, but he had he was a powerhouse. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're in a smaller conference, but they're like one of the powers in that smaller conference. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ro- yes, uh, yes, Roche striking out about four times as often as he's walking at the moment, and it's still good, good, still good BP. Uh, I think he probably put sixty-five on the power. It's still for real, but yeah, he doesn't really offer anything else, so he's got to hit. Yeah, well, let me tell you this. Uh, uh, looking at the, let's start with pitchers because the the top pitcher uh, using the methodology I use, which is not incredibly uh, complex um, insofar as I'm able to calculate it. Uh, it's just basic regressions on like the on strikeouts and walks it, to form like a an ERA estimator. The the top performer among pitchers who recorded at least a third of their appearances as a starter was Mark Brakeman. Mark Brakeman. Yes. Mark Brakeman, and he actually appears on your list as well. Your top fifty-one list. Thirty-three. Yes. Thirty-three. Yeah, and Brakeman. Uh, well, the performance was excellent. Um, 47 uh, strikeouts to 7 walks in only 33 innings. I don't necessarily know how he performed in a starting capacity relative to how he performed in a relief capacity, but the raw numbers are good. A lot better, really. It basically sets him apart in the way that I remember um, not not comparing him in terms of stuff, but in terms of production, the way Sean Manaya a couple of years ago uh, was like decidedly better than every other Cape League pitcher. Uh, yeah, Brickman's an interesting guy. Yeah, uh, Brickman did that. And it, it seemed as though from your write-up that there was – he looked different than he had uh, for Stanford. Yeah, Stanford at one point was for the three weekend games and then the one uh, midweek game were starting four freshmen. And Ooh. Brickman was a sophomore at this point. And I was told even late in the season – sorry, he was 88 to 91. So it was – you know, in in the realm of guys turning down high six figures to go to Stanford and then immediately going into the or going into this rotation, he's you know sort of the softer throwing, wasn't a huge recruit. He's only six one, right handed. Like it's sort of a, a limited upside type. But as we've learned, limited upside guys can still get more upside. They just can randomly start throwing harder. It just you're on the whole, you don't expect them to do it. So he went from eighty eight to ninety one to ninety one to ninety five this summer. And and then all of a sudden his changeup plays up. One guy put a 65 on it, so he went. Oh, that's a good of, number to have on it because that means he's better than most major leaguers in, in terms yeah. of upside, future value. And for an example, and then the, the concern is he's never thrown this hard. For all we know, his elbow can't handle it. We'll find out. And his curveball's kind of fringy, but be average at times. But if you go 91-95 fringy curveball plus changeup, that's what James Shields was in like double A, triple A. And then all of a sudden you get to the big leagues and after a year or two he started throwing above average curveball. Also he's bigger, so I'm not saying he's going to be James Shields, but this is a sort of type of player. James Shields also didn't throw that hard when he got drafted and then suddenly started throwing harder. So there's some similarities there. This is like a, a type of player where this could, you know, turn into a guy. Uh, but th- like I said, there's like a limited upside with the body and sort of limited track record. So people are being kind of cautious, but he he could jump up maybe to the middle of the first round if he has a, a spring like he did this summer. What uh, What is a pitcher that I remember uh, throwing for Stanford, a, a left-hander? And if, correct me if I'm wrong, Brakeman, is he a left-hander? 
Right-hander. Right. All right. Well, uh, it ruins everything. But I remember Brett Mooneyham. How does he compare to Brett Mooneyham except for the fact that they have different arms that they throw with? <laughs> so, uh, that's a big difference, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's one of the big differences. Uh, Mooneyham was more of a power guy with limited command, sort of a, a bigger left-hander. Okay. Okay. So yeah, not not the same kind of guy, but for all we know, could end up being you know the same quality of player down the road. Right. And Brakeman, not a switch pitcher, is that true? As far as I know, maybe as, like for instance, there was a guy from Stanford on the Cape, Drew Jackson, that hadn't pitched since high school, and he was hitting so poorly, his coach asked him to pitch, and he threw ninety to ninety one. So he didn't know he was a pitcher, and now he is. Maybe Bregman can throw left handed. Oh, yeah, we'll bring that up. Bring that up. We'll we'll talk to him about it. Uh, and do you know? I want to say to you this. Among the hitters, thanks, Lick. Thanks, Yoda. <laughs> among the hitters, the uh, the top hitter again by this likely flawed, uh, but not terribly flawed methodology was Patrick Mazeka. I think it's Mazeka out of Stetson. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is Mazeka. Uh, it's Mazeka. Close though. That's not fair. But anyway, yeah, Mazeka. Patrick Mazeka listed as a catcher, although I see a number of instances in which he was playing first base too. This is interesting because I have uh, – Stetson is like two hours from my house. Yeah. Um, so I have at least one area scout that has been mentioning him to me for a while. Mm-hmm. And I still haven't seen him yet. Um, but he was telling me it has some power. He's left-handed. He's like he's from Massachusetts but comes to school down in Florida at uh, Stetson. Uh, kind of a late bloomer. Has a chance to stick behind the plate. And so I was kind of excited. Uh, I had to, it ended up my, my cake trip got a little cut short, but from talking to people, they were like, eh, he's okay. Uh, there's like a, a tiny, tiny bit of Ichiro to his swing where he kind of bails out of the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he also got moved around because I think he had some, some trouble catching like in the, sh- in the short term, which on the Cape, it's like if you're not a top five round pick sometimes, the team doesn't have room for you. So if you're one of our three catchers and you had a little trouble, just, you know, bad game or whatever, sometimes you can kind of get squeezed out. And I was told he may have been a little banged up. So the reviews weren't great. It's sort of an incomplete, we'll say, waiting until I can see him for the first time at Stetson. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, it's, a guy with some tools and has really performed at Stetson and could be a top five round guy, but the scouting community is a little cautious right now. Another, another player. Oh yeah. Okay. I accept it. But it was interesting because he was only, he was only a sophomore this past year, whereas the rest of the list, except for Chris Shaw, who I think appears somewhere on your list as well. Yes. He is a maybe first round pick. Right. Chris Shaw was, uh, was 10th among all hitters by this likely flawed, but not terribly flawed methodology. Uh, he was the only other sophomore, and he he appears to be definitely a corner type. He is a big person. Uh, yeah, I will caution you. Uh, the Cape uh, websites are notorious for n- not consistently labeling guys as sophomores and juniors. Some of them label based on last year. Some of them label based on next year. Oh, okay. Yeah, All the guys you right. talked about are going to be juniors and will be eligible next year. Yes, right. Shaw and Mazika. Correct. Yeah. Uh. Right, I'm saying they, they, most recently they were sophomores. Yes, that's true. That's the point I'm making, Kylie. Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> okay, God. <Oof. laughs> this is good. Heart, heart went into your lungs there. Is it, what, is, what, is Chris, what does Chris Shaw do? Is he a, is uh, he a, a, is he a, a Casey Gillespie sort? I actually had a scout compare him to Casey Gillespie like yeah. three days ago. Yeah, look at that. This must be really exciting for you. Yes, it is. It's, it's one of the few. <laughs> 
One of the few moments. I, no, because I actually I had the opportunity to see if people don't know Casey Gillespie was a giant first baseman at Wichita State, brother of Connor Gillespie, a sometime third baseman for the White Sox of Chicago, and also a big dude. And I, I was able to see him at the in the Northwoods League playing there, and then the next year, as happens, it seems pretty frequently, a guy who plays the Northwoods League one year, especially as a younger player, will uh, he will appear the yep. next year on the Cape. There, there was a big-time freshman that went up this year from Florida that I know pretty well named A.J. Puck. P-U-K. So you may not have guessed it's Puck. Okay, yeah. People often said puke. Puke, yeah. That's um, also, that's also, that's right. But he, yeah, now, he is he of Asian descent, though? I have no idea. Okay. Right. <laughs> I won't even try to guess. All right, all right. But he, he is, bit like, probably a high first-round kind of guy that mm-hmm. took a huge jump after high school, and he went there this year and will go to the Cape next year. Right. And I also know, uh, are you familiar with the name Derek Fisher at all? I am familiar. Derek, he was, uh, Derek Fisher played, I think he played a, a corner outfield position for the Cavaliers, the University of Virginia Cavaliers. Left field, yes. Left field, right. Which is that maybe not great, but he has a good bat and was good, uh, was good in the Northwoods League and I think also, uh, acquitted himself quite nicely, uh, after moving over to the Cape. Well, and Chris Shaw and Derek Fisher both were six raw power, six bat guys. Now, Fisher had trouble getting to the raw power in games. Shaw is more of a traditional Casey Gillespie-like first-base slugger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, all, all three of those guys you mentioned are all sort of plus power guys with, you know, scouts may disagree, but they're all sort of advanced bat. Now, I, I don't want to jump into your methodology here, but uh, I pulled up Mazika's numbers. I, from what I had heard, I assumed he didn't hit well. I didn't look at his numbers. He did hit 207, so now I'm curious. I know he has a good strikeout-to-walk ratio, but yeah. what was what were you picking out of there? Yeah, I mean, mostly the idea is to neutralize the BABIP because the yeah. the, the sample sizes are are so low. And I would guess he may, like uh, I think I've said before, when big league teams have access to speed off the bat, they can sometimes tease out if it's bad BABIP or weak contact. I would bet, given that I was told he was banged up a little bit, it might have been some weak contact, but I'm not sure that would be indicative of future results. So. Yeah. Well, actually, like, because I know in Stetson, which I guess is what, the Atlantic Sun Conference? It is, yes. He, uh, he led the, t- the, he led the club in batting average both years. Yeah, and, yeah, he's had very good numbers. Yeah, and I think that, I think he, I don't know if he led all freshmen, um, in batting average, but he was in the top five or something. He had like a 380 something as a freshman, so. Yeah. So yeah, so I saw that. I said, well, you know, who knows? He, he didn't get mentioned on the list, but if I went a little bit deeper, he would have. Just like I said, I could go see him once at the very beginning of the spring and be like, oh, he needs to be in the top fifty for all I to know. To me, you know, that. that sounds so appealing. You just go to a, go to a college game. Hey, I'm here to see this guy. Yeah, so that sounds appealing to me. It's even better in high school games when, like, you literally be wasting your time to watch anyone other than one player. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, that doesn't it's, sound so bad. So what do you do? You, what do you do the rest of the time? Well, if it's like a catcher, you're either watching him catch or watching him hit. And then if it's, you know, say a college game, there's usually an underclassman or somebody else that's draftable or something you can do. It's also not weird if it's literally just one player that when his, his team is batting and he just batted, so you know you've got at least, you know, 10 minutes before anything's going to happen, that guy's going to take phone calls down the side. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because, right. I mean, if you're thinking in the context of, like, who will I ever have to give an opinion to my boss about and none of them are playing, you you really don't need to be there. Right. So you can kind of wait until that guy is on the field. Get some other work done. Yeah, nobody brings their computer, but there's a lot of phone calls being made. Yeah. Do you bring your – do you have a smartphone? Uh, the smartest, yes. Yeah, okay, that's good. Where do you, do you have to get that somewhere special, or is that a? 
Uh, let's just say it's not available to the likes of you. Mm, yeah, okay. That's that's fair. You mean Italian people? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, no, that's actually the slogan for the t- for the phone, and not available to the likes of you. Oh, <laughs> if yeah. you have to ask, you can't have it. Uh, who is? Because I don't know. Oh no, I know he plays at Maryland, and he was a junior this year. And I know that on the Cape, he played everywhere, uh, including shortstop. His name is Lamonte Wade. Have maybe, you ever heard of that person? Yeah, it may be instructive that I've never heard his name before, and I could name seven players on Maryland's team. <laughs> oh, that's a, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's, that's not, not, not a good sign for No, for not a great sign for Lamonte Wade. Well, he he had a good cape, according to this. Which team was he on? Uh, Breh. Breh. Brewster? Brewster. Yeah, he was on Brewster. Which, have you ever been to a Brewster game? I have not. I think I've been to, what, six out of the ten fields? Yeah. And that was one of the ones that the year, the last year when I went for the first time, their team wasn't very good. So I didn't, I need to chase them down. I think there's not a lot to recommend Brewster games. Admit, that was someone, another thing I was told. I didn't want to say it since I haven't been there. Someone could correct me. Uh, I actually haven't been, but I have uh, a good friend whose family has a place in Brewster. And uh, because that's the closest they will go uh, they will go to that. Um, and I think that – I know that at one time – I've been to a couple. I went most recently to uh, Orleans, the Orleans Firebirds. That's one of the – I've told Orleans and Chatham are the two that everyone kind of agrees are the two best stadiums. Yeah, well, I think Chatham is the most – they're, like, very serious about it. Um, and I know, of it's course – It's also the richest part of town, so. Right. And I also – the book, what, The Last Best League. Is that right? Last Best League. A, uh, that one. Do you know this one? Yeah, I read it. Yeah, it's 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 a it's with a, my yeah. eyes. Yeah, there you go. It's one of the best ways to read a book. The um, yeah, debatable, but go ahead. The uh, last place that it takes place in Chatham, the Chatham, uh, formerly the Chatham A's, but uh, now no, the, the Chatham anglers. anglers, right? Yeah. Which I am notorious in the scouting world for when I wear a hat at a game, usually because it's sunny. It is a Chatham A's hat. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's my go-to hat now. That's a strong hat. Because it also is. I didn't realize this, but. You get a lot of looks like people are like, is that like the Oakland A's? Like, why is it blue? Like, what's going on? Like, you get a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. But then scouts see it and they're like, oh, that means you went to a Cape game. Like, that means you're kind of important. Your, your team sent you to the Cape. Yeah. Like, you, you don't, you don't send the first year guy out to the Cape. So. Could you, uh, so if you're wearing, cause I know that, um, so if you're at, like, if you're working a major league game, if you walk in with a ball cap on that is an affiliated cap, regardless of any, you could be any team. This is frowned upon. But is it? Do you sense that if you're you mean doing, for the media or for scouts? Among media. Yeah. Uh, but if you have, if you if you walk in and you're wearing, a, I would even assume if you walk in, you have a Cape League hat on. That seems like it's reasonable. Well, really, it's just advertising the Republican Party. Why? What does that mean? Because there's well, nothing but rich white people on the Cape. <laughs> yeah, but you know, well, this is a whole. But demographically. The uh, base staters do not necessarily fit that because if to live in the Boston area, generally speaking, you have to be moneyed to begin with. But also, people that are on the Cape on the summer when baseball games are being played generally don't live there. Well, of course, yeah, right. Well, they generally live in Boston, maybe New York. Yeah, when you get to Martha's Vineyard, it's probably an even higher. Country. Boy, don't even talk to me. <laughs> Hello. Boo. <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling my collar away from my neck right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. So loosen that tie, Kylie McDaniel. Why are you wearing a tie to the podcast? Now? I'm wearing a V-neck. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> the uh, all right. Is that enough about 2015? What, can you Let's say, do more can, politics talk. I want to see if we can offend somebody. Yeah, I don't want to do any of that. Just because it's uninteresting. No other reason. What well, do you got on the races? Uh, they're kind of funny because they're different in predictable ways, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh boy, white people. Oh man. Um, what? <laughs> we are uh, the worst. What? Uh, 
Uh, how about just can you give us a Brady Aiken's status update to the to the best of your knowledge? I would love to tell you everything I know. Uh, I would love to write everything I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say I've been barred from doing it, but I've decided it is not a good idea. Right. Okay. <laughs> to write everything that I know. Uh, the short version is he could sign in the sense that anything's possible. Uh, Wait, but- what does that mean? Could sign with with whom would he sign, or could he sign with anybody? That is the question. <laughs> well, what what are the what are the rules stipulate? Well, the rules stipulate he cannot sign until after next year's draft with the team that drafted him. But there was a lot of rebel rousing that I I guess was a part of that there was a way around the rules that was being explored, which uh, you can go see Pedro Alvarez's situation out of Vanderbilt for an example, where he signed a deal. It was after the deadline, so obviously not the same as Aiken's situation. But there was a grievance about. Uh, well, what do we do with this? Does he get the original deal? Does he become a free agent? Does he re-enter the draft? And then after the first of many grievance hearings, MLB struck a deal where the Pirates and Alvarez were allowed to agree to a new contract, mm-hmm. which would seem to make the signing deadline useless. And that was sort of what people were saying when word got out through me and other people that this was a possibility that was being discussed by people. That, hey, if this is now going to happen a second time, that would surely make it seem like if you go in the top five and you don't sign, eh, we'll figure out a way to make sure you get signed and probably even a, at least as big a deal as you would have gotten in the first place, which gives, you know, sort of moves the leverage around in certain ways, but then also sort of changes the rules for certain exceptions. So, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I, I would guess nothing will happen. I would guess Brady Eakin goes to a junior college. The one that's been rumored is Yavapai in Arizona. I would guess he goes in the top 15 picks next year. Other than that, I have no idea. Even in the stuff I can't tell you, I have no idea. But I know a lot of details that are not for public consumption, it it appears. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Well, let's, uh, that's, that's good. That's all I cared about. The, uh, let's talk about the, you got these four, wait, four part series on the mysterious hit tool? There's a secret fits part coming, maybe even tomorrow. Okay. Or today, Uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Or yesterday, I don't know. so that's uh, that's that's I mean it's quite a bit for someone to consume. Could be a little intimidating. I think you have to be on the toilet to read it. Yeah, all right. That's <laughs> why they call it a sitting, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, uh, it in, it out. I think that's how they say. It. That's what you say, right? Fangraphs <laughs> audio. <laughs> yeah. Um. What? So what do you what What are we talking about here? You got there's hitting. I think I think so the the basic part of the hit tool. Is we're looking at hitting. That's obviously you break it down. I think you break it down into three parts. Is that true? Yes, personally, I don't. Nobody t- taught me to do that. I yeah. just figured out that's the three categories that I would put my observations into. Okay. And and those are what? What are you talking about? Explain what the what that is. Okay, so I break it down into. I guess the the most easy to understand would be plate discipline. So all of the components of plate discipline all go together. That's one. Uh, the second one I call the tools, which traditionally would be sort of hand strength, wrist and forearm, just sort of strength in general, bat speed, just sort of the... Physical abilities. Yes. Yeah. The, thing, the things that sort of limit how good you can be, uh, what are those? And then I also lump in sort of swing mechanics because often if you see a player in the minor leagues, he's, if his swing looks a certain way, it's looked that way for so long you can't do a complete overhaul. You can only tweak it. Mm-hmm. And so if a guy has great physical tools but a terrible swing that doesn't allow him to use them, then... I feel like that should be sort of included in the equation. Uh, so that's the second one. And then the third one would be bat control, which is you can 
sort of talk about what you think it is or what it's getting at or whatever, but it's basically, I think, an analog for athleticism and looseness in your swing and essentially is measuring the ability for you to square up pitches that you don't expect to be coming where you're off balance or lunging or things like that. And I use the example of Ichiro and Vladimir Guerrero as the examples of 80 on the scouting scale of bat control that you can see them take balls outside the strike zone that most players couldn't hit or when they're fooled and still hit a single line drive to the opposite side so often that it appears like it doesn't matter where the ball goes. That's kind of what I'm getting at with bat control. But that's, How about Victor Martinez? Uh, his is pretty good as well. Just a, uh, a post, I think, by August Fagerstrom appeared at the site yesterday. Uh, Victor Martinez is the best this year and was also – it has produced like the two best seasons in recent memory of a combination of um, uh, outside the zone contact percentage and also isolated power. Which I think is also what we talked about last week with Oscar Tavares right. saying he was a big back control guy and 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 thus the out of the zone. I guess I guess going back to what we said last week, there's many uh, tools, at least hit tool and probably game power and fastball could be measured entirely if you have a big enough sample of big league results or stats. Mm-hmm. I would imagine back control could also be defined. Uh, by out of the zone contact percentage, although obviously there's some things that would affect that, but that would give you a good idea of sort of who's in what general area. Okay. The the now the third part of your mysterious hit tool piece that appeared yesterday. This is what is this? A combination looking at um, uh, using both statistical measurements and also scouting criteria to to sort of um, to look to look at where they where they agree on certain players. Yeah, the, I, I guess one of the things I was finding was common in the uh, comments article or comments section of some things I was writing was I would do, you know, 5,000 words on the Rangers system and somebody would say, how can you say so-and-so has bad plate discipline? He's walking 12% of the time in low A. And I'm like, it doesn't really mean anything. Like, it's obviously a positive, but... I mean, guy, they would sometimes, the commenters, which I know I shouldn't take commenters quite so seriously, but I feel like it spoke for a certain section of the non-commenting Fangraphs audience. And so I was trying to point out that until you get to, like, double A, like, the stats really don't mean very much at all. I look at strikeout and walk rates for college players, but you still have to know if he was the only good hitter on his team and got pitched around a lot, that's going to affect it. And then when I think when you get into full season, low A and high A, I think strikeout and walk rates are instructive but not always, you know, sort of correct for, you know, what you're trying to predict. And then obviously in AA and AAA, there's plenty of examples of using the back control example of sort of stiff sluggers with big power and late count guys that will draw a lot of walks that appear to be monsters and they get in the big leagues and they can't hit. It's because of sort of the back control thing, which you can't really quantify until you get to the big leagues unless you have scouting data. So what I was trying to explain was sort of the sliding scale of, High school stats mean nothing. AAA stats can tell you a lot, but there's limits to it. And then some of the guys we're sort of people are debating in the comments, like those sort of A-ball short season kind of guys. Those are guys where you can still only really use like broad indicators, especially when you've got a big toolsy guy that's still making adjustments. And you could see him the next year and say like, oh, this came out of nowhere. We didn't know he could do X, Y, and Z. And a scout would tell you, and we could have seen that coming. Like there were some signs at the end of the year that he was making adjustments. We always knew he had the physical tools. And so I guess the, the solution is much like the baseball perspectives guys would say, beer and tacos. It's always use both of them in the big leagues. Sometimes you can use only stats and ignore the scouting stuff. In high school, you should basically ignore stats altogether unless you're going to take a guy in the first round that's hitting 200. 
but even then there's probably a story to it. And then anywhere in between, it's a sliding scale, but sort of letting people know like what the limitations are that sort of affect where the scale is at certain parts. Right. I remember to that point, and this is this is the most naive comment I could possibly be making, but I I hope it's illustrative. Is it where do babies come from? No, I I don't know that either. But we'll get to that next. The the um no, it, this is just an experience I had. It's I had I had just started writing for Fangraphs and uh, and thinking about these sorts of things, and I had a copy of the you know Baseball America top prospect guy with me, and I was at a Vermont Lake Monsters game, and. Uh, uh, Nationals prospect Destin Hood was there, uh, and he's you know he's a 24 year old who just played his first year in AAA this year. I don't he's not a top prospect, uh, but he had a good he had a good season, uh, and you know we'll probably have a you know a call up at some point next year. I mean it looks like it's possible, and but he was at that point one of the more highly ranked players in the Nationals organization, and he had. Uh, he had miserable numbers. And I said, how could this guy be? I mean, he's got no play discipline to speak of, and he's just not doing anything. And, uh, and, but you could also tell, you know, once I saw him, I could tell, well, physically, there's something happening here, right? Like he looks different than some of the other guys. And maybe, you know, maybe, uh, my thoughts on this were colored by the fact that I had just read this report. And so there, it was attached, this, this sort of narrative now was now attached to him. But, you know, again, he didn't really – he did not post particularly great numbers um, in the lower minors, and then he started to uh, as he reached the upper minors. It's still, you know, a youngish player sometimes. So I guess my point being that it's not someone that you one would have been able to suss out by means of, of the stats, but, um, you know, you look at him and you say, oh, yeah, like I see that this is a guy who could who could hit home runs, who could who – could, uh, Retain his athleticism, etc. Yes, that's that's a, all I'm a, saying. A that good personal anecdote that to help support my claims. Yes, that's all. That's the point. That's what I was trying to do. Let's get to here. We're really working together like a team. Yeah, that's right. Good team. Uh, okay, we got to. Oh yeah, we got to part four, which was the. This is a rendering it all into um, into into the tools into the tools. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which uh, and, and of course you've been including those tools in the the first couple of um, uh, longer pieces you've done evaluating the prospects of the Rockies and also the Rangers I think yeah and and on Monday the Diamondbacks and on Monday the Diamondbacks which I assume will not include Blaine Weller nope actually you talked to some people with the D-backs today and they're like eh, we got a lot of guys that throw hard you don't want to pick some of these other ones so. yeah all right <laughs> seal his fate well so he will appear though but he will be uh, he will be Sestouli's guy in that case. Unless you find another guy between now and then. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to. I would not abandon Blaine Weller. You're not going to go out on a Friday night trolling for guys? No. Well, yeah, we'll take, take a look around maybe. But uh, So, yeah, so the purpose is, as you say, it's difficult for the brain to weigh all the information. Uh, so you, uh, so what So what you try and create a, uh, a, um, a means by which to digest it all in, in some sort of, uh, form that can be easily apprehended. Yes. Uh, there's still good questions. Why would you do a hit tool and not a play discipline tool? And I could try to do it, uh, but I feel like the only thing people care about is walk rate for on base so they can project he's worth this much war or he should be on my fantasy team. And that obviously is only one part of uh, play discipline. So would I 
what I think what people want isn't what I would do anyway, even if I were to do it. And also that would appear to be making it a sixth tool, which it is not. Um, and that's also not the way that the industry does it, which at some point this is, you know, also sort of for them and to give the writers beneath me that would like a chance to scout for a team. Like I don't want to force them to do something that teams are going to look at and be like, oh, this isn't really what we're doing. This is kind of a whole different deal. Cause obviously people are going to be a little skeptical of the name, you know, fan graphs if they're not regular readers already, which I think I've said before, a surprising amount of the scouting community already is regular readers. Hmm. Well, good for them. Smart. Yeah. So I, so I felt like doing the traditional tool grades and then for guys with the project as everyday players, I'll do the factor in sort of the BABIP, uh, effects by, uh, you know, sort of back control and, uh, that sort of thing that may or may not be in the hit tool. And then also the plate discipline and the speed may affect the line with stuff that isn't in the hit tool because with that, we're just trying to project basically their ability to make contact. And if you're Billy Hamilton and can turn really weak contact into a single, well, then he would just, we don't have to watch him. We would just make him a 70 because he's going to hit 290 because he's going to run to first base faster than a routine ground ball can get fielded. That isn't really telling us anything. So some people might call Billy Hamilton a 45 or 50 hitter, but that doesn't mean they're going to, they think he's going to hit 250 or 260. Um, so I, I wanted to sort of bridge that gap between the, the dry scouting report and sort of the analysis end part of do we want to acquire this guy, sort of bring those together. And luckily I got sort of kicked around enough of the baseball world. I, sort of function in both of those ways. So I'm sort of familiar with how that's done. Okay. That feels good. I I, I feel comfortable. Do you want to have any uh, <laughs> any misinformation about the keys this week as well? No, I no, I, we, did, we did that. Well, it's funny you mentioned it because I also had David Temple on on Tuesday, and we definitely uh, – we said some um, inaccurate things about the death of the sun. <laughs> So really, it's a uh, wait. Yeah. Is it still going? I heard it was dead. No, but uh, we there was some. It was unclear uh, whether the sun, when it uh, expands into a red giant, whether it will or will not, in fact, consume the Earth. Uh, it, it's clear that it will destroy the Earth, or certainly destroy all of the sort of organic matter on Earth. But whether it would actually consume the Earth in a fiery hell. Uh, what, what, whether we actually do that. And Sounds like the, a light episode, some beach reading. Yeah, well, then, and then, and then, yeah, right, and then that was on the heels of our, our, our conversation of late last week of how many keys there are, where the high schools are located on the keys. Which turned out I was off by at least 10% on everything I said. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Oh, well. Yeah. That's what you get. You get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Free. <laughs> Free content. I was actually thinking, we gotta monetize this, cause, especially after hiring you and Drew Fair Service, the chances that I'm going to get fired are becoming stronger every day, and for good reason, that's fine, but... The, but, the uh, Vegas has it as a better odds <laughs> than the sun exploding in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I would like to, well everything's better than that to be fair, but I would like to monetize this so that, uh, maybe for some job security. Well, I, I would say I had an idea that I did on my podcast for my last employer, which was uh, speculative endorsements. Okay. Where, where we do ads for companies that aren't paying us in hopes that they hear it and out of the goodness of their heart start paying us for it. Yes, yes. Or there's also an alternative, and this is an idea I took from the Harmontown podcast, which is we say terrible things about companies so that they'll pay us to stop doing it. Oh. How do, we, how do we do that but also avoid a libel suit? I think I lost you for a moment. Yeah, you did. You did. It's okay. Uh, here's my question. Hey, 
Yeah, you did. Here's my question. Uh, how do you do that but also avoid a libel suit? Well, it depends what terrible things you're saying. Oh, okay. Like, for instance, if we wanted to say Nike uses child labor, just do it, uh, like, what do you think their response to that would be? Uh, well, that's that's accurate, I think, isn't it? I actually think it is, too. <laughs> right. So they would probably be like, hey, what can we do to make you stop doing that? Yeah, and we would say... Give us money. Pay the, yeah, pay the man. Pay the man. Give David Appleman money. Which, yeah, which would then be purchasing your job security and, yeah. and in, an indirect transaction that benefits everyone. Yeah, I like it. So, yeah, stop stop um, doing that to children, Nike. Jeez. Now, do you want to also do a positive one? Try to get the even out our karma? Okay. What do you want to do? Oh, can I do it for BodaBox? I don't know what that is. Go for it. BodaBox, uh, they have great wine. Uh, I have their Pinot Grigio pretty frequently. It's a uh, it's in a box. It's a, the equivalent of four bottles in one box. So I or, like that. Or we could endorse Two Buck Chuck. What makes your Saturday mornings headacheful? Well, yeah, but Two Buck Chuck, I want to say the problem is I don't have a Trader Joe's near me. Yeah, I don't think I do either. Actually. Yeah, so I I would say if it allowed Trader Joe's to construct a location, in you know even within, I'd say. Try to think what the break is for how often I would go. If it was within 20 miles, I guess I would. So go. somebody get Nate Silver on the line. He'll find out. What, what? 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 Can he do it? Does he in charge of Trader Joe somehow? No, he does. Uh, we'll say statistical breakdowns of fairly insignificant things. I feel like this would be right up his alley. What the odds that Trader Joe's would? Uh, no, how how close it has to be that it would be a net positive for your life that you would still go. Yes. Oh yeah. Right. What is it like? 32 miles is like the cutoff or something. Is that right? I'm guessing, is that? No, it'd be it'd be less than that. I wouldn't drive a half hour to go to Trader Joe's. I guess it depends on your replacement level grocery options. Yeah, well we have one that's decent, but not but not Trader Joe's quality. See I'm very happy because in Florida we have Publix and one the one across the street from my house uh went under uh you know, renovation and all that, and then I had to find the next closest Publix, which was I believe a quarter of a mile away. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I visit they are my, everywhere. I visit my grandfather in uh, Jupiter sometimes, and you're right. They're exactly right. There are Publix. There are multiple Publix on the same small stretch of this road. Yeah, the, actually, the funny thing is, Jupiter is where one of the big tournaments is in middle of October. So about a month from now, there's a big tournament there where there's probably 300 scouts there for five straight days, and we would always rush to leave the field by 9.45 so that we could get to a Publix and get a Moho rotisserie chicken before they closed at 10. Mm-hmm. And we realized we didn't need directions or to look up on our phone because any direction you went out of the field, there was a Publix within five Publix, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> All four directions. <laughs> I want to tell you because I've been, I've been to that area, what is, uh, Roger Dean Stadium. Yeah. There's a bar right across the street from Roger Dean. Okay. And that bar is fine. But if you go around the corner, if you keep going take a left, there's actually like a proper – a uh, good beer bar there too. I mean, they they both satisfy they satisfy different needs, but you can get uh, some some uh, very um, well made um, glasses of beer just around the corner. That may be an option for me. The only the only because uh, I was on the fence about going this year just because you know I've already I already know everything about the draft obviously. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they're actually going to be doing some international July two stuff down there right before the Jupiter tournament. So I was like, oh well, now I've got both of those things. I need to go. Um, is Mazika prop- gonna be there? 
No, it's high school and international. Everyone's younger than him. Although Mazika, they'll probably start fall ball in like a month. I and I'll be over in Orlando because I might go to a UCF football game. So I, it's actually a pretty decent shot. I'll see him at some point this fall. Yeah, Mazika, he's on my radar. <laughs> you sound like you were threatening him. No, no, he's <laughs> no, on my Mazika. good, my good radar. He's on my I good see radar. I you're up to Mazika. Your finger up in his face. And do you know? Do you know who else? You who else I really liked? And you, you, you may not have any. You may not care about this guy at all. Uh, but he went to um, he went to Missouri State actually. And I think uh, the season uh, in question, he actually outhit Casey Gillespie. His name's uh, Eric Charay. He was mm-hmm. on, he was on Finger of Saudi before. Actually, he and Tate Matheny are both quite good. I was to say Tate Matheny was on Team USA. I know him. He's uh, he could sneak in the top five rounds, and obviously he has a good last name. Yeah, uh, I'm not familiar with the other guy you said. Though. Eric Charay. Yeah, is yeah. that a kind of wine? You're thinking of uh, no? You, well, the, there's uh, Chimay, which is a Belgian beer. Uh, okay. And then there's uh, Shiraz. There's Shiraz, which is a... There we go. Where is that? Maybe Australia, maybe. Anyway. He works in the Cubs front office now. There's yeah. a guy named Shiraz that works in the Cubs front oh, office. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, you're going to take my word for it. And then Google it, and you can see that it's true. Okay. All right. Get off the... Get off the podcast. Uh, hey. Pat Mazika, you're on, you're on notice. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, get off the party. Thank you, uh, that was our lead, our lead, uh, prospect writer, Kyle McDaniel. Kylie, thank you. Yes, and thank you to my impeccable intro music. I, which I have not heard yet, so I, I will have. Oh, well, I actually have one more update, so don't listen to it. I'm gonna email you the, the, the final God, version. Alright, jeez. Alright, that is Kyle McDaniel. I'm Carson Sestuli. It's been Fangraphs Audio.